Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and break its seals. For thou wast slain, thou didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. O oh, Father God, tonight and tomorrow night, we contemplate things that are too great for our human minds to grasp and enfold. And yet we're thankful by faith you let us experience them and they are truth to us. O oh, Father, as Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. Tonight, we pray that the sense of your presence through the Holy Spirit would be such that no one can leave this building feeling that they have just been in another meeting, but in a very deep and certain way we will know we have been in the presence of our Lord. Praise be to his name. Amen. John chapter 3, 16 and 17. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world or judge the world, that the world should be saved through him. Stand with me and let's recite that together. Because tonight, that is the truth that we are here to commemorate and remember. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him should be saved. Let's sing, Here is Love. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as a flood. When the prince of life a ransom shed for us his precious blood, who is love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise, he can never be forgotten Throughout heaven's 
eternal days. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the blood gates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured in sent from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Let me all thy love accepting love thee ever all my days. Let me seek thy kingdom only and my life to be thy praise. Thou alone shall be my glory. Nothing in the world I see. Thou hast cleansed and sanctified me. Thou thyself hast set me free. In thy truth, Thou dost direct me by thy spirit through thy word. And thy grace my need is meeting. And I trust in thee, my Lord. Of thy fullness thou art pouring. Thy great love and power on me Without measure full and boundless Drawing out my heart to thee Remain standing while I read this wonderful passage from Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. No one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. 
was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And as Peter wrote in 1 Peter 18, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your fathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished, and spotless the blood of Christ. You know, often at evangelistic crusades, the invitation song is just as I am. But that's not only a song that's appropriate to call the lost to Christ. It should be our song throughout our life, just as I am. Just as I am without one plea But that thy blood was shed for me And that thou bidst me come to thee O Lamb of God, I come I come just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. I come just as I am thou wilt receive wilt welcome pardon cleanse relief because thy promise I believe O Lamb of God I come I come. You may be seated as Elder Bill Sullivan comes to bring 
the word of the evening. In the midst of what we have come to call the Last Supper, Jesus spoke these words to his disciples gathered with him that night for the Passover meal from John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, typically each Sunday when we receive communion, and tonight when we mark the institution of the Lord's Supper by receiving communion together, we remember something else Jesus said that night. He said, whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. But the verses we just read from John chapter 13 are significant because they tie together two important things that Jesus did and said that night. These words clearly classify both those important things as a clear and genuine example of what genuine love is. Now, Jesus foreshadowed his own sacrificial death for us on the cross, using the bread and wine to represent his body given for us and his blood shed for our sins. And this is properly our focus on this night. But even before that, on this same night, Jesus modeled sacrificial living for us. And then later in verses 34 and 35, we see this mandate, this commandment that Jesus gave. This is where we get the name Maundy Thursday. A lot of people don't know that. Maundy is from the Latin for mandate. Jesus said to love one another. He said this is a command. But he didn't just leave it there. He said, love one another just like I love you. Jesus was turning the tables on our inherent selfishness, our very natural self-interest. And he did it with an amazing example of humility, even before we saw him humble himself by going to the cross. Let's consider for a moment the incredible contrast of Jesus' humility with a few modern-day examples of just the opposite. Conrad Hilton III, yes, he's the very wealthy heir to the Hilton Hotel chain, was seated in first class on a plane to London. He got very loud and obnoxious on this 10-hour flight. He called his fellow passengers peasants, and he cursed many people often. He told the flight attendants he could get them all fired in five minutes. Singer Miley Cyrus threw a tantrum of a burger joint, who knows why, telling the worker there, are you serious? You don't recognize me? Actor David Hasselhoff, trying to get into a golfer's only tent at a golf match, said, all I want is a drink. Do you know who I am? Actor Alec Baldwin, cited for riding his bicycle the wrong way in Union Square in New York, cursed at officers and said, don't you know who I am? Then there's the story of the congresswoman from Georgia who tried to walk past Capitol security without proper ID. When the security officer tried to stop her, she hit him because she thought he should have recognized her face. Though she later apologized for her actions, her attitude about this incident is typical of some of the high and mighty in our culture. The high and mighty, at least in their minds, includes top business leaders, it includes politicians, the rich, entertainment figures, 
How many times have you heard a story about some well-known public figure who gets in a situation where they expect some sort of special treatment, special privileges, and say something along the line of, don't you know who I am? The idea is that they are so special, we're supposed to know who they are and treat them according to their status or their celebrity. It's not just the wealthy and famous, don't you know who I am, is used by many people who think they deserve special privileges or they don't want to be subject to the same rules as everyone else. It's a statement of entitlement. I deserve special treatment just because of who I am. Now, I want you to think about the irony tonight of these people, famous and otherwise, saying, don't you know who I am, and expecting special treatment, compared to the one who was literally the great I am in the flesh who turned that idea around completely on this night we mark as Maundy Thursday. So though we typically do read from the passages in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, about the Lord's Supper, there's a passage in John that I'd like to linger in for a few moments here tonight before we do as Jesus asked us to do tonight, to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to listen carefully. This is John chapter 13 still, earlier in the chapter from the verses we just read beginning with verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's notice some key points in this passage. First of all, Jesus knew who he was. He knew his sovereign authority. He knew where he came from, and he knew what he came to do. Three times in this passage it said he knew something. John made us a point to tell us that. The first times in verse 1, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. And the next time is in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. 
The final time in this passage is verse 11. Jesus knew who was going to betray him. He knew all about Judas' plan. He knew that he was king of kings and lord of lords. He knew that he was the word made flesh. He knew that he was with God the Father at creation. He knew, as a song by Phil Keggy attests, his holy fingers made the bow which grew the thorns that crowned his brow. He knew that the nails that pierced his hands were mined in secret places he designed. Jesus knew these things. So more so than any congresswoman, more so than any rich person or business leader or movie star, Jesus had a right to ask the question, don't you know who I am? But instead of this, he turned that idea absolutely around, absolutely upside down. In verse 4, immediately after noting what Jesus knew, it says, so he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Think, Think about this. What an amazing, incredible contrast. What a model of humility and service. Here is the maker of the universe, stooping low, humbling himself, taking the role of a slave or a servant as he washed the dusty feet of his disciples. Now, Jesus' act that night violated the cultural norm so completely that Peter couldn't stand it. He objected, didn't he? It's almost as if Peter says, don't you know who you are? But we see clearly that, yes, Jesus knew. Now, washing feet is hard for us to understand sometimes because this event is rooted in a very historical context. Feet were washed like this in Jesus' time because they needed to be. They got dirty. But eventually, a servant usually did it. And if there wasn't a servant, it was often a submissive wife or child who did it. But the point here is not the washing of feet. The point here is humble service. This passage emphasizes inner humility, not a physical ceremony. So there's nothing wrong with foot-washing services to help us remember this event, to help us remember Jesus' model of service and humility. But it might be a little more helpful for us, since this is not a normal thing for us like it was then, to think of something lowly and humbling that we might do today. How about cleaning someone else's toilet How about changing an adult diaper? These would probably be a little bit more relatable comparison for us than foot washing. And then add another element to it. That is the one who's doing the washing. We might make a modern-day comparison like this. Suppose the President of the United States shows up at your doorstep and says he's here to clean your toilet. Or we could remember this story to illustrate this idea. During the American Revolution, a man in civilian clothes rode past a group of soldiers. They were repairing a small defensive barrier, and their leader was shouting instructions, making no attempt to help them. Asked why by the rider, he replied, Sir, I am a corporal. The stranger apologized. He dismounted, and he proceeded to help the exhausted soldiers. The job done, he turned to the corporal and said, Mr. Corporal, next time you have a job like this and not enough men to do it, Go to your commander-in-chief, and I will come to help you again. And that man was none other than George Washington. Of course, we can't make completely adequate comparisons 
to what Jesus did because no one else is the maker of the universe. No one else is God in the flesh like Jesus is. But you get the idea. Here's Jesus modeling humble service in a way that his disciples could clearly see and clearly remember. And of course, so much of what happened that night, so much of what Jesus said, Jesus did, for the express purpose of his disciples remembering. That's what it was for. And his disciples are like us. Don't we usually remember best what we see modeled, what we see demonstrated? We remember best what we see as an example. Now, I recall being very uncomfortable in the two or three foot washing services that I've been a part of during my Christian experience. Jesus made his disciples uncomfortable too. So maybe all of us are getting a little uncomfortable here tonight. Maybe you think I'm leading up to we're going to have a foot washing. But no, we're not going to have a foot washing tonight. But because Jesus turned the expectations upside down. And the expectations he set for his disciples on this historic night have not changed for us on this night in history. The standard of service he set for them that night is the same standard he would want us to aspire to this night. Jesus turned the standards, the norms, the expectations of the day upside down. He showed them symbolically that head first wasn't that important but that feet first was important. There were four reasons for this foot washing. First of all, he wanted to testify of his love for his disciples. We see that in the first couple verses of John 13. Secondly, he wanted to demonstrate his own voluntary humility. This wasn't enforced. This was voluntary. Otherwise, it's not humility, is it? Third, he wanted to signify a spiritual washing. We see that in verses 6 through 11. And finally, he wanted to set an example to follow. We see that in the final verses of this section. We need to remember that all this occurred at the same place and the very same night where the events we traditionally recall took place that night. Soon after the foot washing, the same evening, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to those same disciples whose feet he had just washed to those same disciples who had just witnessed this incredible act of humble service to them. And that's when he said, this is my body given for you. And he took the cup and said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of your sins. So these words and actions were all part of the same event. So when Jesus said, do these things in remembrance of me, he was clearly referring specifically to what we tonight call the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. But it's important for us to remember that the disciples must have still recalled what Jesus had just done for them, even as he was telling them what he was about to do for them. They had to be related in the minds of his disciples. And again, we call this day before Good Friday, Maundy Thursday the day of Christ's great mandate. That's because, again, a few verses later in John 13, 34, after he had washed his disciples' feet, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. So he didn't just leave it to chance that they would figure out what love is. He had shown them what love is. 
He would continue to model what agape, sacrificial love is as he moved toward the ultimate example in the cross. Jesus made a statement in his model of washing his disciples' feet. He made the same statement going to the cross. He said, I'm choosing to make your needs more important than my stature. And remember, again, he was and is the great I am. Isn't that what it means to humble yourself? To choose to make your needs more important than my stature? Jesus said that this is the very definition of love. That's what we remember tonight as we come to the table here in a few moments. Verse 17 of John 13 says, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. When God's promises are listed, we hear things about God's promises all the time. But how often do you hear this one? Here's the paraphrase that I've come up with. I didn't come up with it. I've read it somewhere. Verse 17, Blessed are they who stoop and obey. Blessed are they who stoop and obey. As we pray this evening, and in a few moments we come to the communion table, I'd like us to ask ourselves which things we've considered somehow beneath us to do. Maybe because we don't understand it. Maybe because we're too proud. Maybe because we're afraid of how doing this thing might change what people think of us. Remember that washing his disciples' feet, stooping to serve, doing something he wasn't, quote-unquote, supposed to do, didn't change who Jesus was and is. He's still God. He's still the King of kings. He's still the Lord of lords. So when we serve one another in sacrificial love, it doesn't change who we are in Christ. It just makes us look more like him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you didn't leave us stumbling around in the dark trying to figure out what real love looks like. But you left us an example. You left us a model in the things that you said and the things that you did. We are truly grateful, Father, as we mark this tremendous evening, this great mandate, Father, to love one another. We thank you, Father, that you sent Jesus to be the true example of that for us and that we can walk in his footsteps, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to love one another sacrificially and humbly, not demanding what we want, but, Father, looking to you as our example of sacrificial love. So, Lord, we commit now this time to you. We thank you, Father, that on the very same night that you showed the disciples this is what love looks like, you also told them, that this is my body, this is my blood. And that was the greatest example of sacrificial love that any of us could ever imagine or experience. So we commit this to you and thank you for your love and thank you that we have the privilege of walking in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Note that tonight... The cross is shrouded in purple. Purple is the color of royalty. And 14 hours from now, royalty 
will hang on that cross. What a staggering thought. Even the truth that Bill presented is displayed in that as well. We're able to date the various events of Christ's earthly ministry by the mention of Passovers along the way. There are four Passovers mentioned in the Gospel account that took place during the ministry of Jesus. And as we use that as a peg to figure dates and times, we see an event early in the second year as Jesus had returned to Galilee and then went to the synagogue in Caesarea and began to speak and the people were listening to him. And then he said something that just baffled everybody. Remember, this was about a year and a half, perhaps two years, prior to the event that we're commemorating tonight. John chapter 6, I am the living bread. Notice, two years before the Lord's Supper. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... He shall live forever, and the bread also which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews, therefore, began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? <laughs> Jesus, therefore, said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. But he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is true food, my blood is to drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, but he who eats this bread shall live forever. And these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now can you imagine that? After this, Jesus' Galilean campaign just fell apart. People said, that's absurd. And they began to just leave. And Jesus turned to the twelve and said, are you also going to leave? And they said, to whom should we go? You alone have the words of life. And so they too experienced consternation by these words. But a year and a half to two years later, Jesus made clear what he meant when he spoke those words. In which, on the last night prior, actually on Passover night. By the way, the Passover always takes place following the first full moon after the vernal equinox. If you were up this morning around 5 or 6 o'clock, you saw that full moon. This is Passover day. And so on that Passover night, as they were having that Paschal meal, 
At one point, Jesus took a piece of, took the unleavened bread. Now, we think of bread like a loaf, but no, this was a sheet. This was matzah, unleavened bread. He broke it. He said, this which is broken for you is my body. All of you eat of it. And he handed it piece by piece to them. And then continued on with the meal till they came to the end. The last cup of wine was called the cup of blessing. And Paul says that's the one that Jesus used, that he took the cup of blessing, the last cup of the supper, and held it up for them to see and said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. All of you drank of it and passed it around, and they received for the first time, for the first time ever, followers of Jesus ate his flesh and drank his blood. Tonight, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we have a piece of matzah, unleavened bread, and we put it on our tongue. In reality, we know that's what it is. But by faith to us, we receive it as the body of Christ. And when we drink from the fruit of the vine, our tongue tells us what that is. But by faith for us, we receive it as the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the promise was given by him when we do this, if we do it correctly at least, then we receive life. He dwells within us and we dwell in him. And how we partake is so important. The Corinthian church started having something like what we have when we have potluck. The church met together and had an agape feast, a love feast. And as they did that, they started to incorporate the Lord's Supper in the middle of it. And it lost its significance. And Paul said, some of you are drunk and some of you are gorging yourself and you're making a distinction between the wealth and the poor. Then he said on the night that Jesus was betrayed, and then he recited that scene again. And then he said this, Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Because if you do not do it with the right attitude, you're actually partaking condemnation unto yourself. Fellow saints, let me tell you, what we're doing tonight is not some empty ceremony. But tonight, we partake by faith of the body and blood of Jesus. But first, let us individually before God ask God to reveal to us anything that we need to confess to him. Perhaps that type of thing of which Bill spoke of tonight. Perhaps it is self is ruling God and you aren't. But ask God to audit your life tonight and listen to what he says and allow him to lead you into the proper mode of repentance. Then proceed to the Lord's table. Aren't we thankful that we have this gift and this promise through Jesus. Holy Father, tonight, we do pray, Lord, that indeed, by faith, 
this might become for us what by faith it is. But, O oh Lord, we so long to live lives of holiness so that everyone who meets us meets Jesus because Jesus dwells in us and is expressed through us. Tonight, as we receive these gifts, acknowledging with gratitude what you have done, but also, Lord, with gratitude for what you will do as we receive these elements tonight. May they truly for us, by faith, be the body and blood of our Lord. Through Jesus, amen. I ask elders Grinnell, Mazanin, and Staub to join me at the foot of the cross. Sisters, tonight we do have two prayer teams. They'll be located in the north wall by those handles stanchion. If you have a need for special prayer tonight, please get eager that they will join you and intercede on behalf of your need for Jesus Christ. Ask us now that these prayer teams receive the Lord's table to partake and then the procedure.
What a blessed time. What a sober time. Stand with me and let us sing. And this can only be true because of what Christ has done for us. It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attended my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sighed. The clouds be rolled back like a scroll. The trump shall resound. And the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. It is more difficult to think of a more fitting benediction, a closing prayer for us tonight, a blessing that is found in Hebrews 13. Now the God of peace, 
who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom is the glory forever and ever. May you go forth with God's blessing. And as you leave the auditorium, please do so quietly. There are usually some who want to sit and meditate upon the cross for a season. Tomorrow night, we will live moment by moment step by step relive the experience of Jesus as he paid the price for our sins upon this cross tomorrow night the cross will be shrouded in black because three hours prior to that service the son of God had died for our sins you are dismissed